We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. And welcome to KMOX. Brad Young at your service tonight. My goodness, it has been a long time since I've talked to you. I looked at my calendar. August 25 was the last time I was in here at your service uh, because of those, uh, what is it again? Oh, yeah, the Cardinals. Oh, yeah, how could I forget? So actually, I've been to a lot of Cardinals games uh, the last few uh, weeks. So, uh, yeah, I just haven't been able to get in here for At Your Service, but we are here tonight uh, for the next two hours. So you're going to want to stick around also, and you know this, at any point in time. If you want to listen to this show or anything on X, you can always download the Odyssey app and listen to it anytime you want. I went to Europe this summer on vacation. Had the Odyssey app with me, was listening to Camel X while I was in Germany. So you can listen anywhere at any time. Download the Odyssey dot or Odyssey app from any place, whether you've got an iPhone or uh, whether you've got uh, a Google Play. Either one, get the app. You can listen at any time. Today, October 5, what's important about today? You know this song. It's the Beatles. Uh, Please, please me. You've heard this song a million times. It was released. uh, uh, This was when their first hit was released on October 5, 1962. And this was released in Britain. And, of course, it would later soar to number one in the U.S. after uh, After the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, there's actually... A little bit of trivia here uh, that I find to be personally fascinating. And let me tell you what that is. Can you think what was the first radio station in the country that played a Beatles song? You're probably going to think maybe uh, WLS in Chicago, uh, maybe a New York station, uh, maybe even KMOX or KXOK here in, in St. Louis. No, it isn't. It's actually the first radio station in this country to play any Beatles songs was in my hometown of West Frankfort, Illinois, population 6,000 people, Salute. And I actually, 
I actually worked at this radio station in high school. And when, when I went to apply for a job at WFRX in West Frankfurt, the station manager said, you're in high school. You don't have any prior radio experience. Why should I hire you? And I said to him, I can talk for two hours without any preparation. And he said, you're hired. So uh, that's where I work. But literally the radio station in my little bitty hometown was the first station in the country to play any Beatles song. Now, why is it? There's, there's, a, there's a funny story with this. And that is Southern Illinois, of course, is big time coal country. My dad was a coal miner. Uh, my wife, you know, uh, we, we had a, a death, obviously, yesterday uh, of the country, be the queen of country music. And uh, my wife likes to say she's a coal miner's daughter-in-law uh, because my dad was a coal miner. But what happened was is that uh, I believe it was George Harrison's mother sent a copy of Please Please Me to George Harrison's sister. She lived in Benton, Illinois, because her husband was in the coal business. And so he brought this record over to WFRX in West Frankfurt, where I was working in the 1980s. Uh, and, they, and they said, here, play this song. It's my brother's song, my brother George, George Harrison. Uh, of course, it didn't mean anything to anybody at the time. But here, play this record. We think you'll like it. So actually, my Sunday school teacher at my church, uh, her name is Marsha Roback, still with us. I talked to her last year. She played the record because she thought it sounded good. Well, of course, it was the Beatles. But who knew the Beatles then? Nobody. So she played the record on WFRX, first station in the country to play any Beatles songs whatsoever. So last year I, I called Marsha Roback and I said, hey, w- would you would you be interested in coming on and talking about this on, on KMOX? And she said, well, no, I think she's in her 80s now. She said, no, I'm not really interested in doing that. Because every time I do, people start calling me at my house, and so I'm just not going to do that. So I didn't want to reach out to her today because uh, she said she didn't want to do that. But still, it's interesting to me, number one, that it's not some major market that did it, but it was a tiny town, 6,000 people. I think the radio station has 5,000 watts. Uh, when I was in high school and I was on that station, I used to joke that that uh, uh, that a hairdryer put out more uh, power than the radio station I worked at. Uh, and, of course, that's not the case for 50,000 red-hot watts of KMOX. Uh, but it's it's funny from that perspective. But it's also funny because of how it got there. I mean, can you imagine if, if this were an episode of Quantum Leap and you jumped into somebody's body and you, and you got to experience George Harrison's sister coming in and trying to convince the station to play a record from somebody they've never heard of. And of course, now we know it to be... George Harrison. So that's right. On this day, 1962, the Beatles released their first hit, uh, Love Me Do. But eventually, Please Please Me was the first song that was played anywhere in the United States on WFRX West Frankfurt. Station's no longer around. Uh, I think it's a child care center now. So uh, it's not like I'm promoting another station. But it is interesting how that unfolded. Also interesting in terms of how it unfolds is that uh, we all heard about President Biden's plan to get rid of student debt. And the Congressional Budget Office last week provided their estimate. And I wanted to reach out to the Heritage Foundation to find out, is this even legal and is it a good idea? 
So coming up after the break, we'll talk to Jonathan Butcher of the Heritage Foundation on the Biden plan to eliminate student debt. And afterwards, we'll open the phones for the rest of the show tonight because we want to hear from you. Brad Young at your service on Camo X. We'll be right back. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Serving St. Louis for over 96 years. KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. And as I mentioned before the break, the Congressional Budget Office just announced last week uh, their estimate on the cost of President Biden's proposal to transfer student debt to the national debt. And that CBO estimate was at $400 billion. And the, But the question is, is this debt transfer even legal? So joining us this evening is Jonathan Butcher with the Heritage Foundation. We've talked to Jonathan before. Hey, great to speak to you again, Jonathan. Thank you. Great to be with you. I'm glad you could make it. Hey, before we get into the legalities of what the White House is proposing, uh, the, the White House and the mainstream media, they've labeled this as debt cancellation. But in reality, isn't this actually a debt transfer from students to the national debt of the United States government? Well, I mean, look, what's $100 billion between friends, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. I mean, what you're doing is you are not forgiving anything. You're simply transferring the responsibility from the debt holders to the taxpayer. And it is, you know, uh, every American needs to know that about two-thirds of adults in the U.S. don't have a four-year bachelor's degree, okay? So you're asking for working-class Americans to pay the debt loads of, uh, you know, about one third of, uh, um, you know, uh, of, you know, the overall number, right, of, of uh, that age group. OK, so Americans up to about age 25. So, you know, I, I just think that this is um, truly a shift uh, and a, a uh, moving the cost from one group to another. So nothing's being forgiven. No, nothing. And it was announced today that, that the U.S. debt, the national debt is now thirty one trillion dollars. But it's it's stuff like this and so many other wasteful programs that drives up the national debt. Oh, certainly. Well, and not only that, but this is, you know, the administration is is, uh, trying to say that this is somehow going to help those at the bottom of the income scale, that it's designed to help um, uh, students from low income families. And, you know, they they keep talking about Pell Grants and students who have Pell Grants will get higher awards and all of that. But a, um, a report for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget 
they just released this a few days ago, and they said that 57 to 65% of the benefits of this loan forgiveness, so-called, program would go to the top half of income earners. So this was the argument that has been made by researchers for, I mean, over a year, really since the campaign season, when this idea first came up, that the majority of the benefits of any sort of loan deferral program, it's going to go to wealthier Americans. It's not going to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's The majority of it is not going to help those at the lower end of the income spectrum. Yeah, Jonathan, when I, when I borrowed my way through law school, and I borrowed every penny to pay for law school. Uh, yeah, I would have I would have loved to have that so-called forgiven. But the reality is I didn't need it to be taken away. I had the ability to pay for it. In fact, I did pay for it. And so do millions of other Americans who get degrees and get higher paying jobs. And we all know this is just uh, this is really just uh, a 21st century example of buying votes. But here's what I want to get into. Last week, The Pacific Legal Foundation filed suit to block this student debt transfer. And when I was looking at this, Jonathan, with my with my attorney hat on, I initially saw a problem with challenging this debt transfer in court because it would hard to find a party that had standing. So can you discuss this idea? What is standing and and has the Pacific Legal Foundation really found a way to get around this issue? Well, they're a terrific organization. I know some of the attorneys who have worked there and do work there now, so I have all the respect in the world for them. Uh, so their, you know, their overall challenge, right, is that the administration does not have the ability to sort of take legislative power, right, because this is a decision that really should go through Congress, right, if it's made. Um, there is a technical argument that they made at first, which was that for individuals in some states, I think Indiana was uh, one of yes. them where they had had someone. And if you combine a set of loans together, then you would suddenly be um, faced with a tax bill. And so then hmm. there would be harm, right? And so that's, that's what would give them standing, right, to turn around and say this program causes you know, has, has caused harm. And uh, I th- and then remarkably, and this is what makes, you know, this administration just so fascinating, just sort of days later, the administration went and, and changed. They revised their proposal for this whole uh, loan forgiveness fiasco, and they actually adjusted it to take away that sort of weakness, that loophole, right, that would allow for such a lawsuit. So at least as of just a couple of days ago, um, the Pacific Legal was was still going to be able to bring a challenge. They have a couple more days, I think, to revise it because now that particular issue is, mm-hmm. is no longer there, at least under what the administration has done. But it's interesting that they remove that just to try to keep litigants from suing over this. And and going back, as I studied in law school, during the Vietnam War, there were lots of lawsuits filed against the federal government by people who said, I'm a taxpayer, and if you're spending money on the Vietnam War, you're wasting my money, That that's and I've been harmed by that, and so therefore I can sue. And the courts have consistently held that that is not a sufficient standing just to be a general taxpayer. So I'm I'm very glad that the Pacific legal foundation is on this because they're going to find another way to to make sure that a litigant has standing. We're talking to Jonathan Butcher with the Heritage Foundation. And Jonathan, the the administration has relied on the HEROES Act of 2003. And of course, this was passed in the wake 
of 9-11, and it authorizes the Secretary of Education, and I'm quoting here, to, quote, waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision, unquote, related to federal student financial assistance programs. But it also has the tag in connection with a war or other military operation or national emergency. But just last month on 60 Minutes, President Biden declared that the pandemic is over. So how do you think that declaration that the pandemic is over, how is that or how might that be important in the legal challenge to this debt transfer? I think it's very important. I mean, look, this this sort of argument is very slippery, right? Because at one minute you have the administration and Biden, you know, saying that the uh, the COVID-19 is, is over because it's going to benefit them, you know, potentially going into the into the elections here in a couple of weeks. Um, but then also, uh, you know, turning around and saying, well, we're going to use this provision that was really meant for, you know, a situation 19 years ago or something like that to say that they can adjust, um, you know, adjust what's in law. I mean, look, I think this uh, I think this administration has shown um, very poor leadership uh, because they know what their political objectives are and they're prepared to bend whatever rules they need to to get the outcome they want. And uh, again, I think that by saying that you're going to move student loans onto the shoulders of taxpayers, you are are really, um, uh, you're letting down those who saved up to pay for college, those who put money away in 529 plans, those who asked family to help them cover their costs, uh, those who worked their way through college. Um, And so, you know, I I think really the big discussion here, right, the solution, if someone was really being serious about what's going on here, would be to say that not every student should be advised to go to college after they finish high school. And that's not because they're not capable. It's because it may not be what's best for them, right? They may need a year off. They may need to enter the workforce first. Uh, They may discover that they don't need a college degree, right? There are... uh, plenty of well-paying jobs that don't require a college degree. Uh, So the discussion really needs to be had about how uh, any sort of incentives, federal or not, are pushing kids to leave high school and immediately go to college, even if it's not the right fit for them. And that's such a good point, Jonathan, because I've got a good friend of mine. He had a college degree. Uh, He was making about $40,000, $45,000 a year with a college degree, and he decided just to become a truck driver. And so he he quit his job and he started driving a truck. Now he's making like $95,000 a year. And he told me uh, just last week, he said, I wish I never would have gone to college. Uh, If I could have been making this kind of money my entire career, I'd be retired by now. So you make a very good point that college isn't for everyone. It doesn't mean the people who don't go to college aren't smart. It just means that everyone isn't necessarily cut out to go to college uh, in order to to find their place in the workforce. Uh, last question. You made a, a wonderful point earlier that the Biden administration has taken and taken a number of positions that were not legal in order to try to assert a policy position that violated the law. And we we just think back with me, Jonathan. Remember the there was the uh, eviction moratorium. There was the airline mask requirement. There was the mandatory COVID vaccination. All of those were struck down by the Supreme Court. Do you see, even if this legal challenge, or hopefully as this legal challenge goes forward, do you see this eventually winding up uh, on the Supreme Court's docket? 
I certainly hope so. I mean, I think that a, a strong case, uh, if a strong case is made, I hope that they, whoever files it, can follow it all the way through. Um, I think that, um, I mean, look, that that is what is needed right now is to slow this administration's um, slow them down as they try to expand the federal footprint everywhere they go, whether it's education or any other area. Um, they are turning, you know, they're they're turning government into what it is not meant to be, right? It is not meant um, to be something that simply provides money for people um, to, you know, in, in any sort of situation, whether it's college, whether it was, you know, relief during COVID, whether it was additional spending on K-12 schools during COVID, right? Most of which has not been spent there either, which is frankly astounding uh, as well. So, um, you know, I think that uh, this, you know, work like this, legal work, as well as challenges in terms of policy needs to be done because uh, otherwise this administration will um, not only overspend, but frankly, they'll be uh, impinging on our on our rights. Absolutely. Jonathan Butcher with the Heritage Foundation. And for those who want to follow this issue as well as other issues that you and the Heritage Foundation cover, where can they find you online? Sure. They can find us at heritage.org and you can follow me on Twitter at, at JM underscore Butcher. And by the way, I read the Daily Signal Every single day, every day, unsolicited advertisement here for you. But uh, a lot of the Heritage Foundation articles are covered there as well. And I would highly recommend that everyone check that out. Jonathan Butcher, hey, thanks so much for joining us this evening on X. Thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, phone lines are open, 314-436-7900. We're going to cover other news of the day. I've got lots of other topics. Listen, I've been saving up topics for a month to come in and talk to you. So uh, we've got lots of things to cover. But what's on your mind? You've heard me say this time and time again. At your service, from my perspective, means we are here for you. And I want to know what's on your mind this evening. Call or text 314 314- 436-7900 on At Your Service. Don't go away. Already got a text from Mary Lynn out there. She's listening this evening. Uh, make sure that if you want to text in 314-436-7900, obviously call or text. I was talking to Jonathan Butcher in the last segment about the uh, about the Joe Biden's proposal to not eliminate debt, not cancel student loans, but just transfer it to the national debt. And, of course, we heard today the national debt is now up to $31 trillion. I can't, you know, I've got a great imagination. I can't imagine $31 trillion, and yet that is where our national debt is. But Jonathan Butcher mentioned uh, an idea that I wanted to follow up on before I, I move on to a different topic, and that is this. You remember back before there was the eviction moratorium uh, that was in uh, mid-2021. Seems like a long time ago, only about a year ago. But President Biden said, I don't have the authority to refuse. It was called an eviction moratorium, meaning if you owned rental property, and someone didn't pay their rent, you could not evict them from your property. And so President Biden said, I don't have the legal authority to do that because he didn't. And then the left kept pushing him 
And then I think which was this was the catalyst for this was our very own Congresswoman Cori Bush from the city of St. Louis. She camped out on the Capitol. Of course, she was live streaming. And what I always thought was funny was every time she live streamed from the Capitol, she was in a lounger, like a Barca lounger, recliner. And she was also eating Doritos the entire time. I don't know if it was sponsored by Frito-Lay. I have no idea whether she has a, a Doritos fetish. That could be it. I don't know. I haven't talked to her about it, but she was always eating Doritos. Don't know why that was. But in any event, she was trying to draw attention to the fact that people should not be evicted from their apartments or rental homes just because they weren't paying, which to me is ludicrous. If you don't pay, you got to go, right? So so President Biden came out and issued this directive blocking and preventing property owners from evicting deadbeat renters. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you can't do that. Just like President Biden, like you said months ago, you didn't have the legal authority to do it. He didn't. And the Supreme Court ruled as such. Then we had the airline mask requirement that got challenged. And, of course, the the, the media and the left, wait, I'm being redundant, just just mocked this judge who said the uh, that the FAA didn't have the authority to force flyers to wear masks. And lo and behold, that's exactly what the court held. And it was also the issue with the mandatory COVID vaccination. I had to deal with this in my law practice because I represent companies. I'm on the I'm on the company side of employment law. And I had many of my clients, many of my clients talking to me about, are we going to have to require our employees to get vaccinated? Because if we do, they're going to quit and we need our employees right now. And ultimately, that issue, as I predicted, went all the way to the Supreme Court and the court said, no, President Biden, you do not have the authority to do this unilaterally. But what's interesting here is, is that there is an internal consistency with all of those decisions and also this issue with regard to the so-called forgiveness of student debt. And that's this. It's called the major questions doctrine. I'm not going to, don't worry, this is not law school. There won't be a test later. Relax. But I want you to know this because it's important when you hear these these, uh, proclamations from the White House about what they're going to do and why the courts so often shut them down. Because the the major questions doctrine is this. The Supreme Court says if, if an agency is going to do something that's big, that involves a major question, there has to be a clear directive from Congress to do that. In other words, it's designed to say, federal agency, agencies, you are not in the position of making law. It is not your job to make law. It is your job to administer law, not make it. And so the courts will look to whether Congress has specifically delegated that authority to the agency in order to see if that agency has the power to do what it wants to do. With regard to the eviction moratorium, nope, didn't have it. The airline mask, nope, didn't have it. With regard to the mandatory COVID vaccination, nope, didn't have it. And as you look at this issue with regard to the student debt, again, they say it's a forgiveness. It's not. It's simply transferring it to the national debt. And um, Mary Lynch has texted and again said the national debt has risen 20% in the last two years. It's because of stuff like this.
And the courts, I think, will eventually say, nope. Of course, they won't say nope because you can't you, you have to come up with a Latin way to say nope. You can't just say nope in a, in a decision. It has to be you know, 110 pages long. It has to use a lot of Latin phrases, it has to use words that you have to go look up in your dictionary. So that's just how they work. But that's essentially what it's going to come down to. Nope. At the end of the day. So I'll be following this very closely as it moves through the courts. Speaking of the courts, we're going to take a break a couple of minutes early here because I want to get into this next topic of the cases that are coming up at the Supreme Court next term. Because everyone talks about how this last term was, oh, my goodness, there were all these big decisions made. And there were. But the Supreme Court always makes big decisions. That's what they do. And next term, which actually is this term, because it just started the first Monday in October, day before yesterday, is when the new Supreme Court term started. There's a lot of big cases on the docket this year as well. And I'm just going to hit two or three of them for you to show you what's in store as these decisions start coming out between now and next June. Brad Young at your service. We'll be right back. We're uh, rolling into the last segment here on At Your Service tonight for the first hour. Stick around, of course. We have an entire another hour to go. Phone lines are open. Open lines, whatever you want to talk about. 314-436-7900. The next term, which started, the present term, which started day before yesterday, first Monday in October. Uh, At that point, we started to see what kind of cases are going to come up before the court this term. And there's a lot. But there's a couple that I just want to highlight uh, because there's a lineup here that just promises another historic set of rulings. And the one that I've been following for years, it's called uh, Students for Fair Admissions versus the President and Fellows of Harvard College. Essentially, this is the case where a group of Asian students have sued Harvard because they had the grades to get into Harvard. Uh, they had the, the background to get into Harvard. They had all of the other requirements to get into Harvard, but they were excluded. Why were they excluded? Because they were Asians. They were excluded based upon their race. And so they sued. And this is a case that involves both Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Same issue, same group that is suing in both circumstances. And they're suing on the basis of discrimination. Now, what's interesting is, is that at the trial court level, when this case went to trial in Massachusetts, the trial court judge acknowledged, acknowledged that there was discrimination in who gets admitted into Harvard, but said, well, it's an acceptable level of discrimination. What what is an acceptable level of discrimination? What does that mean? If you watch in our culture today, we have riots over the perception of discrimination. So why is it that if it's discrimination against Asians, it's suddenly okay, but if it's discrimination against someone else, that's not okay? Why is that? I mean, shouldn't, ideally, shouldn't all discrimination be wrong? Of course it is. And so the the Supreme Court has even said that, 
going all the way back to 1978. The case uh, was University of California versus Baki. And in that case, uh, it was the same issue, that students were being discriminated against. And the, the court held that you cannot have a quota. In other words, a school cannot say we want to have this many students in this ethnicity and the X number of students in a different ethnicity. The courts can't do that. I mean, the schools cannot do that. Why? Because it's inherently discriminatory. And so what the court has said in a series of cases since then is that, well, race can be a factor. It just cannot be the factor. But in in all of these cases that we're dealing with right now, particularly with Harvard, race is the factor. And yet, apparently, the schools, the academia, doesn't have any problem with discrimination as long as it's the right kind of discrimination. And one one of the more recent decisions came from 2003. Uh, And in that case, what I find interesting is that the, uh, the, the opinion was written by then Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And this is what she said in this decision from 2003. Quote, the court expects that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary to further the interests approved today. Unquote. Well, that was almost 20 years ago when that decision was reached. And the question is, have we reached that point? Have we reached that point? Now, the newest justice, Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, she's already said that she would recuse herself from the Harvard case. But it's interesting. It's not really a recusal because the legal issues are identical between the Harvard case and the case from North Carolina. But she's not recused herself from the case in North Carolina. So she's really going to be issuing an opinion on one of these. The question is, Will it be five to four or will it be six to three? The other case that I've been following closely is called 303 Creative versus Elenis. And in this case, you remember that this was from several years ago. Do you remember that case where uh, there was the guy who was the cake baker? He was in Colorado and and, and two homosexuals came in and asked the cake baker, knowing that he was a Christian, knowing that he was a a strong Christian. And they came in and said, we want you to make us a specially designed wedding cake uh, for our marriage. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so they sued. And he lost in the lower courts. He got spanked by the state of Colorado for being discriminatory. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and he won at the Supreme Court level. And the reason being is is that you couldn't force him, and he, he did it on religious grounds that it violated his freedom of religion because he didn't believe that that two men or two women could get married. And he won that case. But in now we have, because the, the, the advocates on the left were not satisfied when the court held that that was illegal, that that was invalid. You can't force someone to specially design a cake. He wasn't re- rejecting their services. He said, look, we've got lots of cakes in here. You want to buy a cake? We'll sell you any cake that we have, but you cannot ask me to specially design a cake for your homosexual wedding when that violates my religious beliefs, which are protected under law. We now have another 
I would say bite at the apple, but that's kind of a Genesis comparison. But in any event, there's this case is a software designer, which is pretty much the same issue. She's a uh, actually she's a graphic artist who declined to provide graphic art services, not computer services, but graphic art services on religious grounds to a couple who were celebrating their same-sex marriage. So the issue is the same. We want to find a Christian who does a service. We want to go to them and ask for a service. And then when they decline, we want to sue them. That's the the method, the modus operandi here of the left in challenging these issues. But what's interesting here is, is that the Supreme Court took this case not on to argue uh, only on the on the issue of religious freedom, but the, actually the court took this on the issue of free speech. And what do you mean by free speech? Well, think about this. If someone came to your door and said, I'm from the government and I want you to say the following words, it doesn't matter what they are. But my point is, should the government be able to force you to speak? No, we have freedom of speech. And if you have freedom of speech under the First Amendment, that implies the freedom not to speak. It's compulsory speech. And so the court is going to look at this issue as to whether or not uh, this homosexual couple who's trying to force a graphic artist to provide services, which involves speaking and designing and creativity, whether that's forcing that person to speak under penalty of law. In other words, if you don't do this for the homosexual couple, we will put you out of business. The government will put you out of business. How, how, on what, in what gulag type country does that sound like a good idea? Where? I mean, maybe in Russia, they come up to you and they put a gun to your head and say, you know, you're going to vote for Vladimir Putin, aren't you? Yes or no. And if you say no, then you die of lead poisoning, which is another way of saying you get shot. But how is this any different? You get put out of business if you don't agree to violate your free speech rights to allow the government to compel you about what to say and what not to say. And then finally, it's interesting. We all hear about how the court is so divided, so divided. Do you know that last year, 29% of all cases at the Supreme Court were decided unanimously? Did you know that? And did you know that 48% of the time, Justice Kagan, the most liberal justice, agreed and voted with Justice Roberts? 48% of the time. So don't buy into that lie. Don't buy into the lie that this court is uh, uh, lacks the, uh, the official legitimacy to render these decisions. It's the Supreme Court, and they're going to rule on matters that will shape our society for decades to come. Brad Young, at your service, going to go to a break. Stick around. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.